0: you are now listening to raise the w recorded at the school of communication inside the hickey audio lab on the beautiful campus of western michigan university come aboard and hear the people, stories and impact of western michigan university here's your host tim Tarantine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the W, the podcast where we explore all that is amazing about Western Michigan University. I'm glad to have one of our great faculty members and a a juggernaut in industry in his own right, Shima Kirkovic. Shima, welcome to the podcast, sir.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Now, Shima, you are working in one of the programs that Western Michigan University continues to tout. Because uh, this program, Integrated Supply Management, has been in the top 10 in the United States for several years running, and you play a major role in that. So, congratulations. And could you just give us a quick highlight of what is Integrated Supply Management? What is that even about? And then we'll learn more about you.
1: Well, that... Answer takes me about three hours in class, so we don't have three hours. (laughs) Um, I'll try to make it very quick. Give me the cliff
0: notes version. Right. Uh,
1: Our students, the major in integrated supply management, also referred to as supply chain management, basically major in doing things better, faster, and cheaper. Companies are obsessed with doing things better, faster, and cheaper, and they've told us they actually want students majoring in this. So it's a very niche, specialized, focused area that we created because industry told us if you give us these students that are majoring in better, faster, and cheaper – We will hire them and we will pay a premium for them. So basically, a company needs to get stuff from suppliers. They put the stuff together, and then they have to get products to customers. And that's what supply chain management is, is getting the stuff, putting it together, and then getting it to their customers. And it's a complicated process where there are lots of opportunities to do things better, faster, and cheaper. And companies can do things better, faster, and cheaper. uh, They have more satisfied customers, shareholders. They make more money. Uh, So that's basically what it is in a nutshell. It's about uh, efficiency, productivity. So you get supply through the chain. Better, faster, cheaper. Correct. I love it.
0: So now we're going to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that Mm -hmm. because that's a really powerful piece. And we may even talk about how, how higher ed could use some Could use some ISM strategies, but we'll get there. Don't go there yet. We'll go there. Let's go back to you, Shima. Talk about your childhood. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in the great state of Michigan. Uh, My parents were born and raised in a communist country at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it's Croatia. Uh, What was the name before? uh, It was Yugoslavia. It was part of the former Yugoslavia. So they, they came to America for a better life, and my dad ended up in Michigan, and someone told him, if you want to live the American dream, just go to this factory and fill out an application, and all you got to do is work a card and you get to live the american dream wow my dad said it can't be that easy so uh he found uh, a town called lansing michigan sure there was a division called oldsmobile in lansing headquartered there of course. and it was the automotive capital of the world they were making over a million cars a year and this was in the early 70s wow and the company was called general motors and my dad said well i can barely read and write and i don't have a high school diploma they said that's okay if you're willing to work hard you'll be just fine And my dad didn't believe it uh so he joined this thing called the uaw fill out the application (laughs) and the rest is history so grew up in lansing uh in a gm family in a factory town and uh, we lived the american dream because of it so grew up in michigan and was surrounded by enormous amounts of industry and manufacturing and then during that time period this supply chain thing started to take off because Companies didn't want to do everything themselves from beginning to end because they realized that they could do things better, faster, and cheaper if they went to companies outside of their own organization that could do things for them better, faster, and cheaper. So I started to pick up on – I probably wasn't going to have a factory job like my father did, which broke my heart because, you know, that was a goal of mine. But my dad said, first, you don't want this job, and two, by the time you're in your 20s and 30s, it won't be there. So I started to – figure out what the supply chain thing was in high school. And then I went off to college at Kettering University in Flint, Michigan Sure. and uh, started to major in this stuff and started to get a little more excited about it. And right around that time, this field and discipline started to explode uh, where companies start to get very serious about it. So this is in the early to mid nineties.
0: Well, can we ask, can I ask a question about that? I want to hear more about why that, why did that grab your attention? Why, why did this idea of getting supply through the chain faster, cheaper, smarter, like wh- what is it about you and that concept that seemed to, to be so, so, so well, uh, uh, you know, braided, I guess? is the word. Well,
1: something I picked up on early on was I wanted to be good at something where demand exceeded supply. that's what i try to tell my students is if you can major in something and be good at something where demand exceeds supply what that basically means is when you graduate you have multiple job offers waiting for you right you You got opportunities you do you got three to five sitting in front of you and you can be a little picky and you can say i want to work in this part of the country i want to work for this kind of company i want to work in this type of industry so i started to think about you know where does demand exceed supply Uh, and then i started to also think about okay If I can major in something where demand exceeds supply and do it at a place that's really good at it, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to fail, especially during your college year. So that's something I try to do with my students. It's something that Kettering did with me is they said, if you major in this stuff, demand exceeds supply. And it's probably only going to change in the, for the better moving forward. And we have a really good program and we'll provide you work experience while you go to school. So that's kind of what inspired me as I, inspired me as I, didn't want to major in something where supply exceeded demand, and I didn't want to go someplace that wasn't good at what I was going to major in. That's kind of advice that I offer college students is, if what you're majoring in isn't important to anyone, and then you go someplace that's not very good at it, you're going to be living in your parents' basement after you graduate. So my inspiration came from, I love my parents, but I didn't want to be living in their basement after college. That's right. So...
0: I tell you, I wish somebody had talked to me. Well, I guess I I don't wish. Everything happens for a reason. I went to college to be a home economics teacher, and that's the first thing that gets cut out of the budget. So I suppose I should have been talking to you before I went to undergrad. You rebounded
1: very nicely. I tried. Yeah. I tried. And and
0: the education I got here taught me enough about systems that I was prepared for other careers, even though uh, the opportunities weren't there. So you fell in love with this idea of being able to go into a career where you would have options. That this American dream idea was really about demand exceeding supply and knowing that you could add value. Exactly. Is that fair?
1: Exactly. Great. And that's, now, that's what I love about Western and our program. We'll probably yeah. get to it. Yeah, we will. Okay.
0: Yep. Matter of fact, dive in. Let's yeah. talk about Western. Um, Go for it. Tell us about the ISM program.
1: I've been here 20 years And the program was just getting started Okay So I received my PhD In supply chain management You know right in line With what my interests were Growing up And, and that was I, down the
0: street In Lansing right? Right
1: In Yep. Yeah. In East Lansing So awesome. I'm a Spartan I bleed green Even though when Western Plays Michigan State In sports now I cheer for Western So something happened Good. Over a 20 year time period Where I'm actually a Bronco More than I am a Spartan You became enlightened I did I did yeah. I think it has something awesome. to do With 20 years worth of paychecks Coming from Western a- as well yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah right. So <laughs> um, Yeah I came to Western the program was starting to get developed and what was nice is i had a phd in supply chain management and there was a supply chain program at western that was just getting started and i had an opportunity to teach students that were majoring in the material that i had an expertise in versus teaching supply chain management to students that would never work in the field had no interest in it and they were only taking the class because they were being told that they had to my first job offer was actually at baruch college in midtown manhattan and they told me well You're going to teach supply chain management. Well, by the way, no one majors in supply chain management here. It'll just be a class that every business major has to take. Yeah, who wants to do that? Yeah, and then they walk into the class, and you have to convince them that it's important, even though they'll never uh, major in it, and actually be in the field. So that didn't seem too exciting. And also, they made me a job offer uh, where I couldn't afford to live in Midtown Manhattan, so I didn't want to commute an hour each way to enjoy the big city. And uh, Western came along and made an offer, and I was super excited because Michigan was my home. And I got to teach in an emerging program where students were majoring in the material. And what I love about Western is if these students, first of all, they're majoring in something where demand greatly, greatly exceeds supply. So when they come here and they decide they want to be an ISM student, They can go home and tell their parents, I'm majoring in something where demand greatly exceeds supply. What that means is if I work hard and make great decisions, I'll have three, four, five, six job offers on the table to choose from. Oh, and by the way, they'll all be great job offers, great benefits, great starting salaries. How does
0: it make you feel as a faculty member? It gives me goosebumps.
1: Right? Yeah. uh, My worst nightmare is walking into a classroom and teaching something where I have to tell the students, this this isn't important. No one cares about it. And by the way, if you're good at this stuff, it won't impact your life. I get to walk in the classroom and say, industry is obsessed with what you're majoring in, and demand exceeds supply. If you work hard, you'll have five job offers on the table, and salaries are getting inflated. It just gives me goosebumps, so all I have to really do is teach them the material, but then help them and coach them to make great decisions while they're in college. Mm You have to work hard, but it's not overwhelming. They have to take their grades seriously. They have to get work experience related to what they're majoring in. They have to be able to pass drug tests. They can't have a criminal background on their record. They have to get to know the faculty. They have to join clubs related to what they're majoring in. And all that's hard work, but let's face it, that's not overwhelmingly difficult. Right. You uh, so and just, I
0: both know hard work is yet to come.
1: Right, right, yeah. right. It's like stay out of trouble, work hard, and yeah. if you do that, you'll have five job offers to choose from when you graduate. So for me, that's one of the most exciting parts is these are students that – When they walk into the classroom and I teach our introductory class, they have no idea what the possibilities are for them. And then they get inspired and they realize, wait a second, I can come out in four to five years and make 60 to 70K at age 23, day one. Not bad, right? And then by age 30, I can have a six digit salary if I continue to work hard and make great decisions. And I can make another 30 to 50K in bonuses. So the majority of my students, by the time they're 30 to 35 years old, they already have six digit salaries with companies that they love, with advancement opportunities, with great benefits. And they get promoted and they can job hop because demand exceeds supply. That doesn't change. Actually, it gets better for them as they get more experience in the field. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, you are teaching in an area
0: where you really do get to launch students. I mean, you, you, I, to me, that is just an amazing thought that you know your work every day has impact. Let's, let's, let's stay on the principles of ISM because I, this idea of doing things in innovative ways, doing them cheaper, smarter, faster, how do you think higher education can learn from ism what what can we as a university what can we as a higher education kind of industry understand from from the last decade and a half or so of work you've been studying and doing in in cheaper <laughs> faster smarter better like how, what can we pull from that are there principles that are helpful
1: yes um and do you want me to be university-specific and talk about Western or universities in general?
0: Well, I think I think you talk about what you know, right? Okay, I mean, you all know, right. You know the ones, yeah. universities well, you've been in and Western as well.
1: Right. Well, the, the way companies make more money, one way, is to sell more stuff. But in a lot of industries, it's such a global bloodbath, and it's so competitive, and it's so saturated. Companies like IBM, John Deere, Harley-Davidson, General Motors, they're not sitting around saying, let's triple sales revenue. Mm-hmm. They, they can't do it. It's too competitive. The only way they make more money is if they do things better, faster, and cheaper. For example, cut costs. Okay. Likewise, if you look at universities, look at Western, for example. We have an enrollment of 25,000 students. Western's not sitting around saying, "Let's uh, raise enrollment to 50,000 students so we have a bigger budget to work with." Right? It's just not an option. I've been at Western 20 years now, and when I first came here, we were at around 30,000 students. Now we're at around 24, 25. That's minus 6,000 students. Right. Okay, that's probably close to $100 million a year in tuition revenue that's gone, that we're not getting back. Now, one way to deal with that is to increase revenue by increasing enrollment, but let's face it, it's it's a global bloodbath out there. It's saturated. Yeah, we're it's in deep competition. Exactly. So supply chain management in this setting is doing things better, faster, and cheaper, which probably means cutting costs to offset the tuition revenue that you lost because you're minus 6,000 students. Now, I'm not saying that GM, Ford, Chrysler, Harley, IBM shouldn't be trying to increase sales revenue, market share, and volume to make more money. It's just really, really hard, and it's not as effective effective as cutting costs. If GM sells a car, one more car for a dollar, they might pocket one, two, three cents, but it's a lot of work to sell an extra car. What if they could cut costs by 10, 20, 30% on something? So what I'm trying to say is cutting costs has a direct impact on the bottom line. If you cut costs by a dollar, that's the same thing as giving your company $1 worth of pre-tax profit. If you increase sales by a dollar, That's maybe giving them one, two, three cents in profit. So in Western's case, yeah, you want to increase enrollment. You want to focus on marketing. You want to get tuition revenue back up without raising tuition on current students, but increasing enrollment, especially if you have the capacity. But in the end, it's about cutting costs, doing things better, faster, and cheaper.
0: And people immediately get afraid that when, when business people say cut costs, that immediately people go to people. That means everybody's going to lose their job. Well, that's not necessarily the case. There are, there are efficiencies defined everywhere in every organization. And so I, I know that part of what we're teaching students to do and part of what applies to higher ed is where are all the areas we can serve our customer better? Where are all the areas we can find a way to go faster? And that doesn't necessarily always mean that people are moving from employed to poor, Right, right. I mean, right. That's the
1: immediate thing right. that we run from. If you actually if you look at companies that have a reputation of doing things better, faster, and cheaper, an ability to cut costs, they actually have a record of not laying off people, yeah. not getting rid of people. Yeah. They have a record of actually hiring more people and investing heavily in their people. So they understand people are their most important resource for that's doing right. things better, faster, and cheaper. For companies that build a product, when they sell something for a dollar. The actual labor costs in that dollar are very small as a percentage of that dollar. Most of their costs are in everything else, um, in particular, direct material, stuff that goes in So when you start laying off people or you tell them they have to take a pay cut, the impact that it has on their bottom line is minimal. You you can do it really fast, and it has a direct impact, but long-term, it's not especially effective. What is really effective is going to your people, investing in them, training them, teaching them how to do things better, faster, and cheaper. And you get all of that money back and then some because they got the best ideas and they're the ones that can do things better, faster, and cheaper. Yeah. So what we try to teach in our curriculum is those tools and techniques and skill sets of doing things better, faster, and cheaper. Uh, for example, technology, problem solving, quality, uh, those things that allow companies to do things better, faster, and cheaper. So yeah, uh, layoffs, Pay cuts, things like that, those are usually short-term. They don't work long-term. And it's usually for, usually for companies that don't have an ability to do things better, faster, and cheaper, and uh, it usually backfires. And there's tons of data that proves that. Sure. When when,
0: when you think about the overall idea of being a, a teacher, a professor, a a sage, and you put in context the fact that you are the son of an immigrant family – who came for the American dream, and now you spend every day that you work introducing others to that dream. What does is, what is being a faculty member mean to you here at Western? What is that really, I mean, to me, it's fascinating that you get that opportunity, but I'd like to hear in your own words, what is being a faculty member and that opportunity, what does that mean for you?
1: Yeah, well, I think we would agree that in general, The middle class in america is deteriorating it's slipping away from us and the ability to live the american dream likewise is kind of slipping away from us from a deterioration of the middle class the opportunity for my dad to come here and just fill out an application and live the american dream that was great for him that was great for me i wouldn't be here if he didn't have that opportunity but for all sorts of reasons global competition greed etc that doesn't exist anymore however the american dream is alive and well, if you work hard and make great decisions and are good at something where demand exceeds supply. If you look at the job market and the economy out there, If you have nothing to offer other than you'll work hard 40 hours a week, it's a ruthless global economy out there. There are Mexicans that will work for 3 to $5 an hour that we're competing against. There are Chinese workers that will work for $1 to $3 an hour that we're competing against. So you have to make sure that you're good at something where demand exceeds supply that can't be outsourced. And that means you have to get trained. You have to take your education seriously. You have to have strong skill sets. The rewards are still there. The American dream is still there. But you have to make great decisions. And if you don't, it's ruthless and the consequences are enormous. So for me personally, what I do is I go into the job and I go into this curriculum and I tell them the American dream is alive and well if you do these things. And if you don't, the consequences are enormous. What's going to break my heart is if I walk into the classroom and tell my students, if you work hard and make these decisions, they don't have the American dream waiting for them. Then there's something very bad going on out there. I'm okay with what the economy looks like because I think anyone out there that works hard and makes great decisions and is good at something where demand demand. exceeds supply, the opportunities are there.
0: Have you written a book with those three principles? I mean, I I think that could be a – I mean, that's a podcast in itself, those three lessons. Uh, to young people and to to, to uh, us who are more seasoned too, right? Right,
1: and you know I, I understand some people say, well, if I'm willing to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and sweat like crazy and bust my hump, I should be able to afford housing, transportation, food on the table, health yeah. insurance, and, and a huge part of yeah, a huge part of me says you're absolutely right, but I also say it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. You, you have to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and be good at something where demand exceeds supply. Um, it's not just a matter of you making a choice that you're going to work hard. You have to work hard smart, and that means you're good at something that companies will pay a premium for. And unfortunately, uh, sticking parts together that automation can do today that my dad did you know, 20, 30 years ago, that's not going to command you a high quality of life. And uh, a part of me wishes that it did, but at the same time, I just accept that that's a battle that I can't fight. The fight that I can take on is I can walk into the classroom and tell my students that if they do this and develop these skill sets, they'll come out of the program at age 23 making 60-something. And by age 30, they'll be 100-something, and and the opportunities are endless. Um, But at the same time, they have to stay sharp because there's stuff coming along here that will make some of their skill sets outdated. So that's how ruthless the economy is. At age 23, you're worth 66. But if you stop working hard, at age 30, you'll be unemployed.
0: Yeah, and if you don't keep learning those skills that where demand exceeds supply, you'll be right back where you were. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Shima Kirkovic, you have given us so much wisdom on this podcast today. And I am excited and actually proud of the work that's going on in our ISM program. It's a real point of pride for our university. And when we think about those types of programs and then sit down with faculty like you, it's easy to see why that's a point of pride for the university. So thank you for what you're doing for our students. Thank you for being the representation of the best of us as Broncos. And uh, we look forward to continuing this conversation. I, I might invite you back to talk more about those three principles and see if we can't continue to help Uh, some of the the Bronco community think through some of that in the future. Even some of our other programs, I think it's a great way to uh, spark a conversation. So thanks for
1: being on. It would be my pleasure. Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn more about Shima and the work he's doing in integrated supply management, some of the amazing opportunities that he and other faculty are providing for our students, please go to mywmu.com slash raisethew, and you can find more information and a link to what's happening in the college there. Shima, thanks for being on and for all the Broncos listening today. Wherever you go, whoever you're talking to, make sure you tell folk about Western Michigan University, and by doing so, you help us all raise the W. I <laughs> out.